Let's read the Word of God together, and we're going to read this morning, we're continuing in the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and reading from the first verse. Paul writes this, let us hear God's Word. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. For if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, Every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ. Each of you is part of it. And God has placed the church, 
First of all, the apostles, second, the prophets, third, the teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, earnestly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the more excellent way. And he goes on to speak about love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to Your Word this morning with this image of Your Spirit filling Your church and of us being one body, we ask that You would let us hear this and in hearing it, Lord, Your Spirit might change us and transform us to being all that You want us to be in Jesus. Amen. I was on uh, the internet the other day, and I saw a site where people could go and rate churches. You know how people do that when you come back from holiday, and you're invited to fill in a, a questionnaire that either says, this is a great hotel, come here, or this was a complete dump, avoid I don't know if you've filled in those reviews, but there, there, there are certain sites where you can go and you can give a report to a church. Maybe you've gone on holiday or maybe you used to be a member of it and you can tell folk either, yeah, it's a great church or no, it's an awful church. And I was wondering as I thought about that, what score we'd get. It's okay, I'm not going to ask you. Obviously not a two or you wouldn't be here unless you're a visitor and then you're not coming back. But, but actually more importantly, what is it when you're rating a good church or a bad church that you're actually rating? If you talk about a church which is one where the Holy Spirit is moving, what are the things that would be the evidence that God is at work in that church among that people? Now, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, in one sense, he starts off giving them a great review. This, this is from the first chapter. For in him you have been enriched, he writes to the Corinthians, in every way, with all kinds of speech and knowledge. You do not lack in any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. This is a church which if we looked at today, in one sense in their worship, we might have said, goodness sake, there's so much we could learn from these folk. There's miracles happening among them. People are getting healed. There's words of prophecy where God's Spirit is speaking to folk that's really challenging them. There's power in their ministry in the church. Some of them are, are so caught up in the worship of God that they are speaking in strange tongues. The gift of tongues is being used there, which is, is, is just, it's, it's sort of bubbling over in words that can't be understood, their love for the Lord. And as we look at this church, we might be tempted to think, wow, there's a church where God's Spirit is really, really moving. And we compare that to the churches we know today, and we think, gosh, the Corinthian church is what we all should be aiming to be. But, as we've been going through this letter, you've no doubt seen something else. Because two chapters later, Paul can write of the same church when he's talking about all this knowledge and all this speech and all this movement of the Spirit, he can write this. On the other hand, he says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. 
but as people who are still worldly, for there is jealousy and quarreling among you. And as we've been looking at this church in Corinth, we have seen some of that worldly attitude that was filtering into the church. Here is a church which was divided into squabbling factions competing for power. Here's a church where there were people who were proud and boastful despite the things that were wrong. Here is a church where there was immorality in the church and nobody seemed to care. Here is a church that were suing one another in the courts. Here's a church where they were taking their sexual ethics from the world that was around them. Here is a church which were behaving in ways which were not allowing each other to grow. And if we if we'd looked at the chapter before this, that we'll look at at some point, this is a church which were treating the poor with complete contempt, even as they broke the bread and shared the wine. And Paul actually says of this church, you are not spiritual at all. Now, a few things that we might take from this. First of all, a very simple lesson that in terms of Christian growth, it's not an either-or. Christians can be doing fantastic things that God is really moving in their lives at the same time as they're doing things which are really wrong and don't reflect the love of God. And that's not just different Christians. Sometimes that's the same person. If we look at Christian history, we can see that. Fantastic things that are done even in brokenness. So, what does it mean to be moved by the Holy Spirit as a church? What does it mean to be a Spirit-filled church in all of the fullness that that means? Well, we have to think to start with, who the Holy Spirit is. We're told at the beginning of, of Genesis that the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters. The Holy Spirit is that part of God, the Trinity, that is the breath of God that is breathed into all creation and brings life. The breath of God that is breathed in as men and women are created, and God breathes His Spirit into them. The prophets are inspired in the Old Testament as they speak God's Word by the Holy Spirit, and they prophesy that the day will come where God will pour out His Spirit on all His people, and the Holy Spirit comes to shape the church. But one of the things that is important just as we think about the Holy Spirit is that word, the clues in the name so often, isn't it? The Holy Spirit. Not just a spirit of power or a spirit of experience or a spirit that's there that we might have a particular type of worship, but a Holy Spirit, a spirit that comes from God to transform us. And I'm always struck when you talk about the, the gifts of the Spirit, as Paul will hear, that we also need to balance that with the fact that the Spirit comes to bring fruit. And in Galatians, we're told that the fruits of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, and I've probably missed out some there, self-control. If the Holy Spirit is working in your life, then those are the things that will be growing in you. And if the Holy Spirit is working in a church, those are the things that will be growing in them. That doesn't mean that if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you will be all these things. No, you might be a complete mess, and your church might be a complete mess but those are the things that God will start to be doing something with if the Spirit is alive in a church today. So, let's dig into chapter 12. Too many words on that slide, I'm going to get told off. 
But uh, yeah, Paul starts off by saying, I, I want you not to be ignorant. I want you to know about the spiritual gifts. Then he goes on to say something that seems a bit strange. He says, some of you used to be idol worshippers and pagans, and you worship mute idols. But now you have a Holy Spirit that means you don't say Jesus be cursed, but you say Jesus is Lord. Now, it's just quite difficult to interpret, but what I think it really means is this. It's not really about worship experiences. You can go to the temple with its idols as you used to do and have a religious experience. People didn't go to temples just because somebody told them to do it. They went because, well, it made them feel good. They went because they, they liked what was there. There was a consumer dynamic to it. What is different about going to the Holy Spirit isn't that you have a different worship experience. It's actually that you change from people who do not own Jesus Christ to people who know Him as their Lord. And that's what we see, but what we see is reflected also in how we live. You don't just come to church and sing, Jesus is Lord, creation's voice proclaims it, if it's not true of your life, living under the Lordship of Jesus. And I think that's one of the things I've taken from this letter as we've gone through it. We we talked about hokey-cokey theology, didn't we? Not just putting your yourself in and self out and dipping it around and enjoying the experience, but actually giving your whole self, your whole life, your body, your finances, every part of your life and relationships to live under the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't Sunday church. This isn't religion as a hobby, something you do, something you enjoy, like you joined a club or you went bowling. This is something that shapes all of life because Jesus Christ gave Himself And I'm aware that sometimes churches get this wrong because we spend an awful lot of time institutionally talking about what we do for an hour. If I said right now we want to have a debate about changing the music styles of the church or moving the pews around, and we're going to have a a meeting about that, about changing worship times or changing the way we do it, a whole lot of folk would want to engage in that. Everybody would have an opinion. In fact, we had a meeting, I'm pretty sure if it was about something drastic about morning worship, we'd get lots of people coming with want to stick their oar in and go this way, go that way. But when we say, what about a discussion about how the Lordship of Jesus affects our life full time? All of it. How it speaks to your career, how it speaks to your family life, how it speaks to your home life and your living. Are we as engaged with that as we are with the religious bit? And that is what the Spirit is all about. And the Spirit gives lots of different gifts in the church. Preaching gifts, speaking gifts, lots of different gifts that will be here. But they're given in order that life might change. Paul says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. The same Spirit is given, and verse 7 is really important here, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What does that mean? It means in the church, different people have different things to offer. Some of that is supernatural gifts. That's what Paul's talking about. Some of that is very ordinary gifts. We all bring different things. But all of those things should work for the common good, to help and build each other up as we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a few things that are here. Um, 
as we think about spiritual gifts. One is, this is really important in the church because a lot of our focus has been on the gifts of the minister. Sorry, I'm not going to talk about that just now. You can talk about that later. Most churches do, um, for better or for worse. But actually, what about the gifts that the people of God bring? I mean, for instance, I would just basically say this, that I know more people who have not rated a church highly because of what the person next to them said or didn't say that day, rather than what was said at the front. What type of welcome did I get? Did they look out for my children when I brought them? We, we used to go on holiday to churches, and I'll tell you, the churches that hadn't thought about the children were the ones that we said were not going back there. Didn't really matter about the sermon so much as that side of things. Are people loving? Are they caring? What's the church doing? These are the questions that folk ask. But the other thing that's very important when we think about gifts is, is, is this, that gifts are gifts. You know, I'm, I'm sometimes, when somebody does something terrific, we, we do give them a round of applause, don't we? And we say to them, you're really gifted. You're fantastic. But if we really think about what God has given as a gift, it's not fantastic that somebody has a gift because it's given by God. They haven't done something amazing. They've been given something amazing to bless everybody else. The gift is given, yes, an individual has it, but it's given for the common good. It's given for everybody. And therefore, it's not a place in church where we build people up and say, oh, you're fantastic. You can do this. And somebody else is sitting there thinking, well, I can't do anything. I'm useless. Rather, it's a place where we see God is blessing us so if we've got somebody that's really good at the church finances, we're not saying, oh, that person's really good with money. We're saying, hasn't God blessed this church in giving us those gifts that we can use together? And every single person brings a gift for the common good to build each other up. And that's where this passage does something quite important. You are the body of Christ, and each one each one of you is part of it. We live in a society where two things are true at once. One is that our economy, as we said before, is increasingly involving multiple people. Nothing is made by one person. Well, just occasionally something is made by one person, isn't it? One person made that. But you look at most of the things that you eat, consume, enjoy, and they've got designers and producers and bits made in China and bits made down the road, and it all comes together, doesn't it? We live in a society which is very interlinked, but we also live in a society which is very individual. Everybody does their own thing. Everybody looks after themselves. And spirituality can be, can be that way as well. You know, lots of people say to me, have you had folks say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. You had folks saying that to you? I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Now, I sort of get that because it may well be saying, I'm really not into all this institutional stuff and all the politics of church. I just want to have a relationship with God. Great, fantastic. But here's the trouble with that sort of thing. It often is saying this, I don't want the hassle of people and meetings and gathering. I just want to be me before my God separately and individually. And I want to clearly say when people say that, that is not what Christianity is about. 
It's not what Christianity has ever been about. Because Christianity is always about us called by the living God to have a relationship with Him and to be part of a family. The church is the body of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean the church of Scotland or this denomination or this way of doing it. It's talking about God's people being a body together. And this is the antidote to individualism. It is that we are called to be one, directed by the Holy Spirit and building up everything together. And that means, in, in, in what Paul says, that we, we need to treat every part important because the body needs every part. You may think that you don't have a lot to offer, but by the way, it's critical. It's absolutely critical. We need the ministries of encouragers. We need the ministries of chair movers. We need the ministries of smilers. We need the ministries of people who are just there. We need every part to play its part in the body of Christ. And cooperation, by the way, is so, so important here. But it's also about how we value each other. This guy isn't St. Paul. This guy is a philosopher. He's called Plato. And you may have heard of him. It doesn't really matter. But he was one of those names that would have been known by, by the, the folk in Corinth because Plato hung out in places like Athens that weren't that far away in the centuries before the New Testament. But Plato had often spoken about the city as, as being a body. That's where lots of folk have said Paul got his idea from. But here's the problem with Plato's idea of the body. He said some people are the head and the brains, the philosophers, of course, and they should be ruling everything. And some people are the, the middle parts, and they've got some jobs to do and some money to make. And some people are the feet and the smelly bits, and that's the slaves and the, the whatnot. And if the, if, if, if the city's to work well together, everybody needs to know their place because everybody has their part to play. But by the way, my part's at the top running things, and your part's at the bottom. And don't get uppity. If you're a slave at the bottom of the heap, don't you think that you could be running the place? Because that's not what it's about at all. That's what he meant by the body. The body was a hierarchy. Yes, it needed all the different parts, but it needed all the different parts to stay in their place and get in their lane. Know where they belonged. Know what their status was. And that's not what Paul says here. He turns the whole thing on its head. And he says, we give honor to the weakest parts. We're not going to spend a lot of time on the people that are strong in the church because they're doing fine. But we're going to do what a body does, which is that it protects its most vulnerable places. It values the things that seem unimportant. And by the way, this isn't just Paul using a body imagery. This fits with what he said in the first few chapters, isn't it? Where he said, Jesus came not in strength but in weakness. The church exists in the weakness of preaching, in the little and the small and the despised and the nobodies that God is using to change the world. And if that's true of the church in society, it needs to be true of the church among itself. The strength of a church is how it strengthens the weakest, not in how it releases the strong and the most confident to use their gifts and gives them space to shine, but how does it do in encouraging those who are struggling to play their full part in the body. The hands, the feet, the head, all together as part of the body together. We discover we need 
one another. That cartoon's too small, but it's basically a hand and an eye, and the eye discovers it needs the hand to put the eye drops in the eye if it's to function. You are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of that body. Holy Spirit, if He is working in the church, it will be a place where we value and we honor and we put others above ourselves, just as Jesus did at the center of the whole thing. And if this passage is complicated, bear in mind something very simple, that after 12 comes 13. And after how does this body work and how does this spirit move and things that are complex comes Paul very simply telling us, I will show you a more excellent way. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 13 in perhaps the most famous chapter in the whole of this book to talk about love and what love means as we work together. At Harvest, we are reminded that we are not crofters living alone and feeding ourselves, but we are part of a complexity of our social order in our international world. Perhaps in this passage, we are reminded in terms of the church that we are not individuals, but we are called together, not just in this congregation, by the way, but in a whole church internationally, where one part of the body suffers, all of the body suffers. That's why we pray for the persecuted church, for the excluded church. That's why, by the way, that the growing churches of the world are praying for churches in Scotland, because they see us as the weaker part of the body that needs their prayers and their strength. It's why as we hear the voices crying from Israel-Palestine, I would encourage you amidst all the other voices to listen for the voices of the church in that place. And by the way, a church that has been there since the day of Pentecost in that holy land. Pray for those among the Jewish-Israeli community and the Arab community that are our brothers and sisters in Christ, just as we pray for all the people of that land. We are the body of Christ, and each one of us is part of it. Let's pray. Father, we want to come, and as we give you thanks for so many things, we would give you thanks for each other. We've clapped this morning the people with the visible gifts that play a part in our service. But today we would give you thanks for every single person that's part of our church. The people that have strong faith and, and we know them well, and the people who struggle just to be part of things. Each one valued to you, each one that your son died for on the cross, each one that you are perfecting into His image and filling with His Spirit. Enable us this morning, Lord, even as we talk and share together, to be thinking of each part of the body. Who needs encouragement and welcome or help this morning? And as we think of ourselves as part of a body in this place, so we would pray that we would see ourselves as part of your body right across this community in our presbytery planning, that we wouldn't worry about where we meet or where we are, 
but being a church across congregations, across denominations, owning the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and living in His Lordship in this place. We pray for the church throughout the world. We pray for the church as it exists in places where the Spirit is moving and people are becoming Christians, and we pray for the church in places that it is difficult, remembering those that are persecuted, those that live under laws that are difficult for their Christian profession. And this morning, we pray for peace among all the peoples of that holy land. We pray for peace for the Israeli people. We pray for peace for the Palestinian people. We pray for justice. We pray for an end to violence and fear and threat and terrorism. And we remember that even in the midst of all that pain, you have people who are bearing witness to Jesus Christ, the one who called us to love our enemies and pray even for those that persecute us. And we pray for the church in the Holy Land of all types and denominations in that place. And Lord, as we brought these flowers this morning to thank You, so we ask that as we take them out, that You would make us people who give thanks for all that's around us, and that as we affirm and we thank those in our community, it might bear witness to the One who has given them all that they give back. And so we ask that these go out in Your name to bring joy and peace that points to Jesus.